Hello, and welcome to the Decking Awesome Games podcast, where we talk about how to create your own board game, our journey through the board game industry, and chat about board game culture in Ireland. My name is Owen, and I'm joined by the awesome Kira and Brian. Hello. Hello. Today, we are talking about crowdfunding and creating your first Kickstarter. We're going to discuss why you should do it, how to get ready, what the community will want, and what to do after. So let's start off with the obvious. What is a crowdfunding campaign? So I suppose a crowdfunding campaign is is a great way of getting a an idea you have to reality when you don't have the funds to do it. <laughs> so if you come up with an idea, say for a board game specifically, and you want to get it manufactured, get it out there in the world, but you may not have seven, eight, ten grand to to do it from the word go, you know, advertising it and putting it out online on like Kickstarter or Indiegogo or Fundus are great ways of. Uh, letting people basically pre-order the game uh, to get your funding up enough to make the game for yourself. Yeah, I totally agree with that. There's lots of different crowdfunding platforms out there. Kickstarter is obviously the most popular for board games, which is loads of other ones out there, like Brian mentioned Fundit, which is the Irish um, crowdfunding platform. That usually focuses on things specifically for Ireland, small businesses within Ireland that need a bit of extra capital or like ones that are involve Irish culture and things like that. So that's more appeals to people who want to support Irish community-based products. And oh. there's also Indiegogo as well that was mentioned, and that one is a larger kind of tech-orientated one almost. seems like it covers bigger projects, but it's similar enough to Kickstarter. And then the only thing to remember is that Kickstarter is an investment, so you're not giving up equity in your company in order to uh, get Backed. It's more. It's more along the lines of pre-ordering, so you can offer your product before you've actually got it made, so that you can build up the capital ahead of time. Kickstarter does seem to be one of the biggest ones for board games, especially. Like, there's there's a huge amount of board games up there. You don't tend to see them up as often on Indiegogo or Fundus. I know Smorgasbord was on Fundus, um, but you don't tend to see board games up as much on the other ones as you do on Kickstarter. It seems to have quite a big following in the board game community. Yeah, yeah, because Kickstarter has predefined goals, so you're reaching a specific funding target, whereas some of the crowdfunding platforms, they don't have a target. So it's kind of like charity, that's usually where they come in. It's about getting as much investment as you can. You're not too worried about reaching a certain amount, whereas when you're coming to manufacturing something, especially with the tech goods or with board games, you actually need a certain like minimum, and then you can make your product. So that's where the Kickstarter funding goal comes in. Okay, so uh, we talked about some of the different ideas that are popular for crowdfunding, different kind of ways. In the past, crowdfunding was a little bit more like the Wild West. This this was because developers and publishers coming out of nowhere with cool ideas on board games, um, but you're not sure who to trust. Yeah, I think that uh, in the early days, people took crowdfunding very lightly. So there was a lot less products and a lot more money going around on some of the platforms. So people... Yeah, we're getting on board or like early adopters were investing in loads of different companies and maybe those people who had those ideas didn't really research enough before they got on the platform they were uh, trying to get first to the market more than being sure of what they were planning so a lot of projects in the early days failed and like for like small reasons things like they didn't get enough money they didn't get the right quotes they didn't take into account shipping or uh, they didn't realize that if you have a stretch goal, it might change the the requirements that you have. There were a lot of like small mistakes that made people then become very wary. A lot of things didn't get manufactured and there was trouble getting their money back off people. Yeah, I think people didn't realize the amount of work that's needed. Like you have a, good, a really great board game idea, a really great concept. You find it's really fun. You play it with friends and uh, and random people. They all love it. And there's a lot more that goes into it because obviously, like you said, there's things like shipping and manufacturing. And you might not have thought of any of these things. You might have just thought, oh, I'll do the Kickstarter campaign, see if people like it, and then I'll worry about that kind of stuff afterwards. And then, of course, you're dealing with like maybe you didn't get enough money. Maybe you're selling it at the wrong price. All these other kind of things start coming into place. And um, obviously, if it's your first campaign, uh, you got to reduce the amount, those amount of risks as possible. And right now, in, in this day and age, it's uh, you have to kind of prove that you know what you're doing before you get the support from the community. Yeah, I, I think I think some of us, you know, early on was probably, as you were saying, 
honest, just not thinking it all the way through and people, you know, realizing they're out of their depth and basically ending up with a lot of expenses they hadn't anticipated. So ending up with the, the crowdfunding wasn't enough to cover their costs. I know there were some people out there who kind of took the money and ran or others who, you know, didn't get enough and then ran another Kickstarter campaign to fund the first one, basically, and then had to run a third Kickstarter campaign to fund the second one. And it kind of snowballed out of control. But I think for the most part now, there seems to be a lot of uh, a lot of the people on Kickstarter have kind of done their due diligence and have looked into it and have done the research and they're working out the appropriate cost or they have the funds themselves before going on Kickstarter. I know I personally haven't had too many bad experiences with stuff going missing or going AWOL. Backers are now more cautious when they look at a Kickstarter profile. They know what they're looking out for. They, they want to hear things about that you've gotten quotes or that you've made sure that you can afford to back it at this level. Even ourselves, you know, we when we calculated the cost, if we weren't going to put up the whole cost of manufacture, we were going to explain that we were going to fund some of it ourselves. And that kind of makes people know that you've you've thought it through. And the fact that um, main board game publishers have started to uh, put their games on Kickstarter, people now know how long it takes to make a game like even a publisher who has a manufacturer and who's done this thing before it can still take months to make a game or it easily takes like over six months anyway even with the with the best of hopes so knowing that mainstream companies take that long means people now understand when somebody says they'll have the game made in a month there's probably something questionable about the about the campaign or that it's not really really cheap to just make a game even if you like get it sourced in china there's still like a lot of extra costs on it that even the main board game makers need to add on to their products so having that kind of uh, really experienced people and uh, really new people both on the same platform means you can kind of compare and get a better idea of how, how much effort it would take to make a game I think you'll see that a lot in Kickstarter. Um, if you're new to the platform or if you're new to the board game industry, you might get a little confused when you go into a Kickstarter project and uh, you'll see this company and it's way past its funding goal uh, and it's absolutely dominating uh, with, with the amount of funding it's get, getting. One thing to look out for is, is this a well-established board game brand? And if this publisher is there, they're pretty much using this more as a pre-order system they knew that their community already wanted this game they knew that they're they're generating it so they're just having this kickstarter less to fund but more to kind of see what the need is and the community and how many games are actually needing to make which is great but if you're kind of if you're just your first board game idea and you're a first board game publisher you might look at that and go oh maybe i can get that obviously that board game company has been working on their community for quite a long time yeah they have a a lot of following a huge email list uh, loads of people on instagram people who've bought the game that they can fire out an email to and a lot of previous games as well so there's a lot of trust there and so they don't have to worry too much about hitting their funding goal the funding goal really isn't there to actually mean anything they're going to make the game anyway and it's just about how many people is going to buy it pre-order and i think in Steve Jackson Games has this stakeholder report they produce every year and even they were saying it in in the report their model has had to adapt to adjust the crowdfunding so while you might think maybe the mainstream publishers don't need to be on crowdfunding but as it happens the model that they need to use now involves crowdfunding and drumming up publicity ahead of time to make sure that the idea is something people want. People have a lot more choice in the board game industry now. So the big suppliers who were used to getting reliable sales from products that have been out a long time maybe don't get as much of that because there's such choice. So they have to compete on a lot of different levels but in a lot of similar markets to one-off board games, there's been a lot of highly successful first board games made by different companies. And that means that the bigger companies now have to think, am I going to make thousands of these games or am I going to make more games and only a small number, a small run for each game so that they can appeal to a broader spectrum of people? Okay, I, t- I totally agree. Just a little bit of background on us. On our first campaign on Kickstarter, we did Garden of Bees in 2016. And uh, then in 2018, we got our first successful Kickstarter campaign with Dice Summoners. 
So what insights did we gain from our first Garden of Bees campaign? You know, in in some ways, I'm actually kind of happy that we failed on our first Kickstarter campaign because we learned so much from it. When we launched, we hadn't really, we hadn't been to any conventions. We hadn't really done any advertising. We got ourselves up on Kickstarter and then we went to our first convention and you know, we were meeting people going, oh, this game is great. I really like it. You know, how come I haven't seen you before? You're, if you're already up on Kickstarter, well, how are you only showing up now kind of thing? So we did quite well considering that we were brand new and hadn't, and basically came out of nowhere. But, you know, I suppose the big takeaway from it was that you have to kind of go out into the community and get a bit of notoriety for your game whether it's uh, enter it in competitions, put it out there for reviewers, even just show up to conventions, let people play test it, get the name out there, get people signed up for mailing lists and following you on social media and that's so that you have the base there. So when you do launch it on Kickstarter, you can basically have a ready-to-go crowd of people who, who have liked the game, who have enjoyed it, who've played it, who think, God, I want that, and who are ready to, to buy it as soon as it shows up on Kickstarter. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of key insights that we got from the Garden of Bees campaign. Stuff we didn't think was necessary. You can check out both of the Garden of Bees and Dice Summoners Kickstarters. You can search for you can search for either Garden of Bees or Dice Summoners on Kickstarter, and you should be able to find the projects. Uh, and you can kind of see the progression between Garden of Bees and Dice Summoners and what we changed. Uh, but also talking about what we've prepared is very important as well. Like Brian was talking about, the community is very important. There's also other stuff like artwork and uh, having what people expect in the community. They want to know who you are as well, and they want to trust you as people, um, because then they're much more happy to kind of support you in your board games. Um, and also they can tell if you are only in it for one game or you're in there for the long term. Uh, we were always there for the long term. And we also covered some like practical things. When we started our, when we set up our Garden of Bees site, we covered the Kickstarter advice and we had all the bits and pieces that they said to have. And then we had the rule book, which we thought kind of gave people a good idea of the game. And then we had a promotional video that covered some details, but people wanted a playthrough video. We thought we kind of covered ourselves in having enough detail on how the game worked, but people wanted more, much more detail, especially from a game that they hadn't, or a company that they hadn't seen before. They they wanted to know uh, more details on what made it different, so more details on exactly how the gameplay worked, whereas we had that down, but we probably hadn't highlighted it enough when we started off. So there was even things on our Kickstarter page that needed like needed a little more detail than we had expected. So I think that made a big difference between our first and second campaign. We knew what people were looking for better. And while we got, people were brought in by the ads that we had or the promotional video we had and there were like bees moving around and things like that. It was, I, I still love the advertisements <laughs> from the first. Stop motion. <laughs> yeah, that was great. But, still on YouTube, I think, if you, want to, <laughs> if you want to go looking for it. And that stuff was really, really good. But then when they wanted to know the really good details, they, uh, they spent a lot of time messaging us back and we added those details later on in the campaign. But having them on day one, when you get your first, you get a, a high boost of traffic on the very first day and you want to convert those people quick. So it's best to have everything up first. It's okay to delay your campaign a week and not send it out on time because if, if you think that you'll have more detail when you do launch it because that extra detail on the very first day is so vital yeah that explainer video and that playthrough video they were they were the things most sought after people would come to the page and immediately go where's the playthrough video how do i figure out how to play this it's like oh well you could read the page like ah, yeah but a video is better and while as you said we covered all the details with the text you know a video was a couple of minutes and people would have got how to play and all the perks and benefits so it's worth taking a bit of time to get a good playthrough video or get a, a, a advertising video up and running and then you can kind of introduce yourselves as well explain that you know you're legit you're not just someone who's cobbled together an idea to hopes of getting a bit of money and uh, nothing's thought through at least if people see you playing and enjoying the game they can they might relate to it a bit more yeah and i think we learned a lot when it comes to the dice summer campaign we had a project video which was much shorter much more concise but it also had us speaking directly to the camera 
and that gave us a lot more personal kind of introduction as well as bringing dice summoners in uh, we realized that it was kind of a more of an intro you didn't really have to explain a game too much it was more thematic more personal and then further down we had uh, this is all on day one we had um, reviews previews from uh, specific people which we had previous contacts with all these things and then also the artwork we had lovely artwork of the banners and stuff like that done um, and that kind of just all that thing just brings the people in knowing that this is it's not something cobbled together last minute. Uh, I'm not saying Garden, Garden of Bees was definitely not cobbled together. We spent a lot of time and decisions and stuff. We just didn't fully know the best for our game. Um, and it is kind of tailoring it for you personally uh, as a board game uh, publisher, but also for the game itself and what kind of team people expect. Because the thing is, no one's going to read the whole Kickstarter project. Uh, some people are bigger into videos. Some people are bigger into text. Some people want downloadable content. Some people are straight to the stretch goal or the pledges. And you just need to give something for for that person to who stumbled upon your page or someone who's opened it from one of your emails to look at it and go, I totally support this. I'm going to go for it. So I think that we knew more as well what sort of, what our launch day looked like. We knew that we had to have a better mailing list because our mailing list really, it was still very young when we started Garden of Bees. We had two more years to build up on it after between that and Dice Summoners. We made sure that we had done a lot of promoting um, in person at conventions. People people knew who we were before we started the campaign. Even though we didn't have a board game, we still, we were more available to the community and yeah. more around. We spent a whole year going around conventions, not selling anything, just promoting Dice Summoners and doing playtests and playthroughs of the game, which... Very expensive, but was definitely worth it because it got the name out there. So the following year when we launched, we had people coming up to us going, oh, hey, I remember this game. I really enjoyed it. It was great fun. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to back it. It's great that it's up now. I can finally get my hands on it. So And they commented then on the comment section. So when we sent out our first mail, we had a few people going, played this at the UK Games Expo, had a great time, really enjoyed the game, yeah. played with my kid. Yeah, so you'd even get an idea of who the game appealed to based on who was commenting on the on the Kickstarter campaign. I think that the completion of Dice Summoners really has us in a good position for future projects that people can trust that we we did do a good job and we did provide all the information. And we we gave people updates on how it was going. Um, yeah, because when we did Dice Summoners, we were much more looking at the numbers and looking at the specifics. And we did this for Garden of Bees too. That never funded, but because Dice Summers did, we got to show that not only did we make our delivery date, but we also uh, fixed any problems people might have. Uh, we also had stretch goals that were completed on time, kind of new. And, uh, and so we kind of proved that like all of these things working together, it was a good campaign. Because a lot of times, most Kickstarters, they're like three months late. Or like six months late, and that's not uh, like the publishers and the people and the people making these ideas. It's not that they're not thinking about this. So there's so many things that can go wrong. There's invariable delays you you can't account for. Like what was one of the big delays? Our delivery got stuck in a port over in Europe somewhere because there wasn't enough space at the port in Dublin to dock because a couple of ships had been delayed unloading. Like, I mean, you can't anticipate stuff like that, but our crates of games just sat in Rotterdam for a week because they, the ship couldn't get them over because there was nowhere to park. Yeah, we, we also have problems of distribution as well. So, like, we sent all the board games ourselves from our house. We just, you know, created little boxes, put the games into the boxes, wrapped them in bubble wrap and sent them. Whereas, you know, you could also have another third party do that instead um, and all these different choices. You might not have actually made those choices uh, before the Kickstarter, before day one of your Kickstarter. And without having those finalized things, you, you can't be fully confident on the date. So we kind of push ours a little bit further out. And so it kind of, people who understand the board games community in Kickstarter, they'll understand why it's so far ahead. Some people going in like, that. why does it take so long to manufacture a board game after you get the money? But, you know, I think we proved that just having it further away gives more people more time and more kind of range for error. And it's, especially if your manufacturer is far away from you, you need to do checks. You need to wait for a sample game to arrive at your house to sign it off. You need to book in to their delivery schedule or production schedule. Those things, like a manufacturer can say it will take 12 weeks to get this game made. But 
that 12 weeks has to start when they've scheduled it in. So for Dysomeras, we were waiting three weeks for some other production to end. I don't know if it was three weeks, but it was definitely some amount of time so that it could be scheduled in when they expected it to be. And uh, knowing that, or giving ourselves a little bit of leeway for that, leeway for that. And we also had leeway because we already knew that Chinese New Year was going to be during that period and Christmas was going to be during that period, both of which delay manufacture. So we had given ourselves a little bit of space. But if you weren't expecting to have to wait to get a slot after you agreed to it, that it didn't just start, your 12 weeks didn't just start straight away, you might not know how to add those numbers together and get the right number for how long it's going to take. And you might not even know about these kind of uh, blockers until until you've done your first one, which is great for us because our next Kickstarter, we know all this stuff. So we can make have a much clearer indication as to how long these things are going to take. I'm sure there'll be other challenges we face, but um, just just know that there's a whole, a whole load of hidden challenges around the, around the thing. But Kickstarter has been around for such a long time. I think people notice when they see other projects and they kind of look around at other things. Definitely check out other, other Kickstarter projects to get a good idea as to what a successful Kickstarter campaign looks like. Also look at unsuccessful Kickstarter campaigns, see what they look like, and kind of compare. So... All right, well, let's go through some of the specifics then. Okay, so let's start off with estimating your funding goal. Um, what makes up an estimate? Oh, <laughs> there's so much to that. So you have to factor in things like the cost that the game is going to be to manufacture itself. That's going to be one of the big, big ones for you. Then depending on where your manufacturer is, you might have to ship it. Whether it's coming from China is going to be an additional shipping cost. We used a freight company to get it over. Then you've things like if you're coming from outside your customs union, you've got VAT and things like that added onto it. You've got delivery costs. You've, distribution. Oh, you've got, you distribution, got distribution yeah. from, from where you start. You, even once you get your games from China, you'll then have to ship those out to your backers. So yeah. it depends on whether you want to do part of it in different countries or where your backers are. Hopefully you're close to your backers and you can just do it from your own house like we did. And you need to buy boxes and bubble wrap and things. So they all add a little bit of cost on as well as potentially like having to repair things or having to ship things back. Like no one wants that. So if you know, you've got to try and be careful that you don't add in excess, but I've seen it on projects that I've backed that they've had problems with the distributor or so they've had to move it to a different distributor. Like that all costs money. So you just want to be careful be careful that you have a little bit of funds, even if it's not from the Kickstarter or just funds you have yourself to, that can account for small problems that might come up. You also have to worry about uh, stretch goals as well. Um, sometimes you get a stretch goal like we had. We, cre- we laser cut those tokens and then we got those done by a separate kind of team. Yeah. And then they and then we, we put those into the games and sent those off. How are you going to manage your stretch goals? Because if you're using a distributor, you're going to have to send those stretch goals to distributors and work with them to actually attach each one to the right thing, which can get pretty confusing. So from our point of view, anyway, yeah, we, our manufacturer was Longpack and they made the custom engraved dice. And then we also had shipping from Emerald Freight from the port in China. We also had to look into VAT and import duty. So, uh, yeah, it depends on the location of your manufacturer. And there's different choices that are going to change your estimate for each game. Yeah, we couldn't really find anywhere closer that could do custom dice. But actually, Longpack, they had a competitive price for the dice, but also they had a really good reputation. And because of that, we felt pretty comfortable using them. And it turned out really well. They were very supportive. But while they had options for shipping it over to us, had we used them, it most likely would have been very expensive to get it shipped with them. Because if you uh, get somebody who's an expert in manufacturing and ask them to organize shipping, like there's going to be a lot of overheads for them because that's not their area of expertise. We've heard of uh, other manufacturing companies quoting prices for shipping, and it can be quite high. Whereas because we went with a shipping specialist, so... Emerald Freight are from Ireland and we actually got to talk to them in person we were really happy that uh, we got a really good deal that, like they are really competitively priced because that's their specialty they bring crates or uh, what are those shipping containers over constantly from China so they know what they're doing they are used to small companies because they quote by the crate or by the pallet and they usually have a container filled with loads of different company stuff so I know they do big companies as well, but they also 
have a lot of expertise in small businesses. And that really makes a difference on like, they knew what they had to do. They knew that where the Chinese manufacturers would drop off. They had a representative there in China that the Chinese manufacturers could co liaise with and who organized like the drop off and pick up. So it all went really smoothly. They knew exactly what they were doing. They got it to our house, so we didn't. So we didn't have to go collect it from a port, or so some some manufacturers will get it over to your the port in your country, but then you have to go collect it in a van or a truck. And when it's on pallets, like you have to get a forklift to get it into the back of the van. So you've got a lot of concerns if you are trying to do some things yourself. So there's there is. A limit on what you can do yourself so just think about that and think about getting in expertise it might save you money but it or it might cost you extra money but at the end of the day there's some things that are just very difficult to do yourself yeah we wouldn't do that ourselves that sounds pretty crazy we might do it if it was like somewhere in ireland with those manufacturing we'd consider it we were very lucky with emerald freight and um, we hadn't actually known about them on day one of the kickstarter campaign we found out about them afterwards we knew we had that problem and we just didn't know how we were going to solve it. So um, finding someone like that is just perfect. You know, that's kind of exactly what we needed needed to happen. We also have a podcast on manufacturing already. So um, this it goes into the specifics of manufacturing. So definitely check that out. So after you've created your estimates, then what do we just set, simply set that as our funding goal amount? Yeah, that's, a, that's always a tough one for, I know a lot of big companies, established companies that probably have the funds to make the game themselves, they'll set a, a goal quite low for themselves uh, so that, you know, the game is backed. More people seem inclined to back it once they know the game is going to be made, whereas some people will hold off on backing a game until they're sure it's backed. But if if you think to yourself, okay, well, you know, I have I have two, three grand myself that I'm prepared to put into this, maybe you can say, you know, I'll have that there. I need 10 grand to manufacture this. So maybe I'll look for seven grand and you can, you, you can put seven grand as your target. I know for smaller manufacturers or solo manufacturers, people who are just making one game just because they have a fun game and want to get it out there, it can be hard if you don't have the funds sitting around and some people will look for the full amount, which can make it kind of tricky to get sometimes, because sometimes they have to set it high just so they get enough funds to do it. So it's a it's a bit of a balancing act with setting it high or low. Yeah, yeah, because usually when it comes to uh, board games, you're going to be talking about a thousand games, um, and that's just uh, usually the base minimum that all these manufacturing companies will do. Someone will do five hundred, um, but you're better off just thinking about a thousand games. How much is that going to cost, and then basing everything around that because if it's two thousand if you end up getting a very successful kickstarter campaign and you have to make two thousand games then everything reduces so the cost of manufacturing reduces shipping reduces like you know obviously this is in relation first of all it doubles <laughs> <laughs> and then it reduces <laughs> so yeah it's all kind of relative um but if you don't get you, you're gonna have to make sure that if you reach your funding goal, that you can make the game. Like that should be your first worry because if you think to yourself, oh well, I could get away with uh, hoping that once I fund, a lot of people will get on board because that is kind of the trend on Kickstarter. Is if it's already funded, people feel a little more comfortable for some reason backing it. Yeah. I do not understand why, but it 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 does happen. It even happened in our Dice Summoners campaign when we funded. We got a bunch of people on that day who just backed it because it was funded. So you can hope that that will happen, but what you should what you should plan for is that that won't happen. Plan for if you just got the bare minimum, how are you going to make a thousand? The minimum my manufacturer makes. So some manufacturers, the really big ones, have a, a, a minimum of two thousand five hundred. If you're with one of those companies, then you really need to consider whether you how you're going to balance the funding on that uh, but you need to be able to make it with whatever funds you end up with and uh, but then and then the other side is if you don't invest any money it can be seen if you're not in the business a while that maybe you're just going to run away with the money like you're you haven't got any uh, skin in the game but if, if you have that money and you, they know you're going to invest some of your capital some it can, it can kind of reassure people that you're you're in it. You you want to manufacture it. You know that this is going to take some of your hard-earned cash to to get along. Yeah, I totally agree with that. 
um, because you see it all the time of uh, failed Kickstarter projects at like say 25,000 for a board game and then the uh, person, they really want this game so they'll redo the Kickstarter campaign, they put in more artwork, they spend more money on it and then they'll have the Kickstarter goal down at like 12,000 or 8,000 and then they get the goal and they only make like 14,000 and then they don't have enough to actually manufacture the game. Yeah. They were hoping for this. After I reached my 12,000 goal, loads more people will jump in because they usually do. There's a lot of people like following and a lot of people have taken the one euro pledge and they're just waiting for this to succeed. Um, but the problem is, I don't think it, it, sometimes that's not enough people to give you into a location where you're profitable enough. So it's a very risky game. And you, if that does happen, you've got two choices. One is you take out a 10,000 euro loan or the other is you fail the Kickstarter. And um, both aren't great options. Because no. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're still going to have to pay Kickstarter and you're going to have to give everyone their money back. So you'll be out of pocket one way or the other. Yeah. So setting a realistic goal for yourself is a good idea. If you exceed it and you go beyond it, fantastic. But make sure that it's going to be something you're going to be able to afford to do yeah, one way we, or the other. We, we put we put some um, leeway on our funding goals and our pledges and everything else to make sure that we weren't going to be uh, put in a bad place. We're also putting our own some of our own money in. So that's because we knew we were going to make these games uh, depending on the community. But for future projects, I think all of these things will start to become clearer and clearer. Um, and you'll see... Like you'll have a manufacturer, you might consider, oh, maybe for my next game, I'll pick that same manufacturer. I might pick the same shipper. And then everything is like, I already have those numbers. I know what those numbers are going to be. And everything's clear. So let's talk about some specific. What about the pledges of a campaign? How many should you have? And kind of what would they look like? So we kept it quite simple. We wanted to make sure not to overload our supporters. In Garden of Bees, we had a more options available to us and I think that maybe that kind of diluted the interest or people's decision making choices became very complicated uh, for dice summers we simplified it down we had a one euro pledge level to make sure or to for people who just want to back show support get involved some people will back at one euro and then wait to see how successful the campaign is before they up their pledge we picked I think five or so options overall. We had, obviously, get the game. That's the main focus of the Kickstarter campaign. <laughs> then we had get two games, and we added in a discount for getting the two games so that maybe people might get one for themselves and get one for somebody else they know or get it as a present. And then we had a retailer pledge that had five copies of the game that a shop could get involved in. So you kind of want to allow there are some retailers who specialize in kickstarter games and they back kickstarters just so that they have original or like kickstarter versions of the games and they like having that like unique selling point especially as there's a lot of indie board game shops out there and board game shops themselves have had to become more indie to survive in the competitive market so it kind of suits them but we didn't go for a deluxe version we we went for something with add-ons in garden of bees and it didn't really get very much traction. In Dice Summoners, we wanted to make every uh, copy of the game really good quality. So we wanted to have the nice marbled dice in all the games, and we wanted to have the really good quality components and thick cardboard in everything. So we didn't go for a deluxe version of the game. What I'd say is, if you think you can make your game deluxe without causing you a load of extra manufacturing hassle, it's a good idea. Uh, we added in special Kickstarter tokens to all of our all of our copies of the game. So our Kickstarter editions were for everyone who backed us on Kickstarter. We didn't make a deluxe version. But if you think that maybe you could add in a box of wooden tokens, or I know things like another Kickstarter campaign had high-quality plastic coins and things that they added in. If you think you can do that easily... For a small number of people, then great. If if you think that that's possible, go for it. I think that that's a really good idea. But we were just worried that we would have to reduce the quality of the main game in order to compensate for the deluxe copies we sold. So we decided to avoid it and just keep our cost base so that we knew we could afford fancy Kickstarter components for everything. 
Yeah, I think uh, like some people who go for nice deluxe editions, they keep it simple. Like they'll put, say, a fancy box on it or, you know, a nice wooden box or, as you were saying, you know, fancy coins that will just be shipped along with the base game that they can swap out themselves, which is great. It's a nice little, depending on your manufacturer, relatively inexpensive. But if you're going to go for an extra printed version with like a different cardboard box or you're changing the components completely that are going to come in the box you're going to look at an extra large expense for making that game and if that's what you're planning you just better make sure that it's a uh, it's affordable because it can add a big big cost to your game obviously i suppose the pledge levels depend as well on what type of game you have like some games will come with expansions built in and others will come with the uh, you know, slightly different versions, different decks of cards, different uh, types of abilities, different locations, whatever it may be, different storybooks. Um, so if you want different pledges for each of them, fair enough, or, you know, an altogether one. If it's just a base game you're selling, as Kira was saying, it's a good idea to kind of keep it simple and not put in way too many options. As long as, as, long as you've got the base game there, you're selling that, any additions you want to put on are kind of up to you, but just make sure that you keep the extra costs in mind for yourself so you don't end up bankrupting yourself just trying to make a nicer Kickstarter version. Yeah, I think uh, for any of our future projects, we're always going to have the one euro pledge because that just makes the community so much more engaged. Um, and it also shows that you're more inclusive, kind of bringing people in to the whole idea. But your your funding goal amount is all going to come down to that base game pledge. That one game, however, try and make it as cheap as possible. And then uh, that's where everyone's going to go for the two-game base one with the discount. Actually, turned out very successful. I definitely think we should we should keep that. That's a great idea. It actually kind of helps people because some people like it so much they want to show it to other people, even like in separate board game groups. The deluxe edition, I love it. I, I, I we don't tend to have it because it does tend to take a lot of time to be able to create something worth quite a lot more money. So it's usually four times you know the cost. Like you're talking like a beautiful wooden custom made box with nice components inside and all sorts of different types of things. And uh, some games you can make that work, but some games, like if you're talking about a, a parody game or whatever, no one really wants a deluxe game. But if you're talking about like Twilight Imperium, some people will want a deluxe game. So it depends on the game. Uh, the retailer pledge, thinking back over it, maybe I'm kind of conflicted about it because uh, it would be nice to be able to have retailers contact us directly and we can discuss with them kind of uh, what they need and kind of make the agreements because you know, you're know you kind of stuck when it comes to retailer pledge of choosing an amount, whereas they might not want to choose an amount. You say six, they might go four or they might go seven or like whatever. So you know, having them contact you directly is pretty handy, um, but you also want them to be part of the community because these uh, retailers that are backing your Kickstarter campaign are just as important as, uh, you know, any other backer. So it's, I'm conflicted about it. If there's a way of just changing it so there's, there's a different amount or something like that, giving some more some more options. But anyway, that's a separate thing. So you mentioned before, Kira, the adding to the base game of plastic tokens. Uh, what kind of stretch goals kind of would be good to add into a campaign and what do you have to look, kind of look out for? So what the main thing you should look out for is an unaffordable stretch goal. You don't want to change your cost situation to un an unsustainable amount adding a stretch goal. Like, I think stretch goals are great. I think they're a great way to engage with the community. I actually really felt they added to our campaign. Um, it gave people like a reason to want to back the game on Kickstarter as opposed to just buying it in the shop. I just want to just clear up what a stretch goal is. It allows you to, after you hit your funding goal, you can keep adding to the base game, keep adding in new kind of features. It's kind of like unlocking something. The more successful you are, the better the base game is going to be. So that just allows people in the community to just always be engaged. Even if you've made your goal, you know, before before stretch goals, people just disengaged completely. They knew they were getting the game and they'd never open up the Kickstarter again. They'd forget about it. Yeah, whereas now with stretch goals, you get community engagement and people sharing on Facebook and Twitter with their friends and family. So yeah, stretch goals are pretty cool. Yeah, I really love stretch goals. Like when you're, you back the game and it gets successfully funded and you're like, okay, great, so I'm getting the game. And you open it back up just to have a look over it again. And you're like, oh, like if five more people buy the game, we get that stretch goal, which includes these extra tokens. That'd be really cool. I bought the game not even thinking I was getting them, but now that I could have them, I definitely want them. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like being like when you're 1% close to the funding goal yeah. <laughs> that everyone gets. It's just that 
constantly yeah. throughout the campaign. <laughs> like there was there was some people who like increased their pledge for dice summoners by like two or three euro just to push us over that extra stretch goal. Mm-hmm. Just so they'd be like, oh, that was me. I increased my pledge, so we I got that stretch goal. That was <laughs> all me. Yeah. yeah. There's there's other kind of stretch goals as well. There's ones like Facebook shares and Twitter likes and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, I don't I don't know how I feel about those because it feels like you're you're gonna unlock those anyway. And you're kind of you're kind of uh, just having them there to force people to share them on Facebook and Twitter, um, and I think people are going to share on Facebook and Twitter whatever they want to. You know, it's it's up to them as the back as the background yeah, supporters. Yeah, I don't think you're going to change what sort of person they are. If there's the sort of person who posts on Facebook or or Twitter or Instagram or whatever, then they're going to be the person who share shares. I don't I don't know that forcing them will help. Also, it leads into the problem of once they've unlocked the top Facebook share stretch goal people won't share anymore yeah. <laughs> so just yeah, I'd have it as a separate thing just you know but as as Kira was saying with stretch goals it is very important to just like it's great to add little bits on and the community loves you know unlocking more stuff but you have to be very careful about increasing the base cost of your own game it's great to say oh great look I've hit 150% of my target so I'm going to change them from little cardboard standees now to uh, molded minis but you're you're potentially adding another 10 15 grand just for the molding costs to make those minis and you've got an extra 2000 for the stretch goal so while it's great and people will really want to get the minis you're adding a huge extra cost for yourself so you have to kind of balance you know what adds to the game but doesn't make the game unaffordable for me to make yeah cuz in dice summers we had the little uh, plastic tokens that's because we knew a person with a laser cutter uh, we knew uh, how to do it and how to design it and everything and we knew it wasn't going to break the bank and it was a fixed cost so we didn't change the the base design of our game and we had a, we had a fixed cost for the tokens for our cards that we unlocked we had talked to the manufacturer before and actually they made cards in certain batches so until we hit the end of that batch there was a certain amount of cards we could add on for it would still cost more but it cost a small amount more yeah so for for us most of the stretch goal was going towards the artwork to get the art for the new creatures and monsters we were designing so we were once we had that artwork that was a one-off payment so we could add extra cards into the game with only a minimal increase to the base cost without having to uh without having to have a recurring high expense yeah yeah those recurring high expenses can be spiral out of control and um, like unlocking those cards was still interesting we had new types of attack and defense on them so there was or it, there was a new balance of a card in it so it did add to the game okay so uh let's go through on day one what kind of designed content do you need for a kickstarter so like when someone looks at your kickstarter campaign page what kind of uh, design and artwork and say would you need so i suppose we already kind of talked about having a a nice playthrough video and an introduction video where people are kind of getting to know you and your project and how to play the game in a quick overview um having nice artwork and a nice design to it is great if you can get it nice and cheap or you can get it to look nice without going too overboard so it's always nice to open up a page and not have it just blank white with a block of text if you've got a few artwork images in there even pictures of the game pictures of some of the components and um, nice video that explains everything and you know a couple more details like that can really just make it eye-catching as well i suppose you want to explain the game as well so adding things like the rules was is a great benefit because if someone wants to sit and read through excuse me wants to sit and read through the rules and um, they can find out how to play the game before they've even decided if they want to back it yeah, you can also have uh, things like font match your rules font. You can have artwork from the game like inline into the uh, Kickstarter page. And uh, it's all trying to uh, show that this is all one project. The game and the Kickstarter page and you, they're all kind of working off each other. And then you can also have your social media like Instagram and Twitter and Facebook kind of feed off that too. So that they all kind of match and they're all kind of one cohesive unit. And that's all stuff you can prepare beforehand. Uh, get in touch with your artist and your designer for your board game and have them help out with the Kickstarter page. Okay, so you have some design content done for your Kickstarter campaign. How would you uh, use Kickstarter to kind of build community? 
so like it's it's a it's a really good idea to you know when you stick up your kickstarter you can give links to your social media or mailing lists and all that but it's a good idea as well to stay engaged with the project itself so you know post updates as you're going along going oh we've we've hit this guys you know we've uh, we've added a few more review videos we've got this and that done keep posting updates let everyone know what's going on even after the project is backed, finished, done, dusted, that you can go, we've been in touch with the manufacturer, we have the game ready to go, it's all starting now, now it's being shipped, oh, we've just got it. It's great to It's great to feel like the designer hasn't just forgotten about you, that you know, you're still finding out what's happening in the game and what's going on. You can always link people back to your social media and say, oh, hey, you know, if you want to see more details or what we're working on next, you can always check us out over here. And stuff like that, I think, is a great way to, to kind of build up the community as well as keep them involved. You've also got things like the FAQs and uh, risks and problems and things like that on the Kickstarter page where you can, you know, you can put up a few questions that you might anticipate, like how many players, all that should be in there, but guarantee you someone will ask anyway. And like put in a few jokes as well, make it light, have people want to or feel like they can relate to you when you're uh, when they're reading the page that they're like oh these guys seem like fun I, I wouldn't mind following them seeing what they've got next as well as that if you're at any conventions or anything out in the public where they could meet you advertise it to your backers and to your supporters like make sure people know that they can come see you and try out the game and see it in advance uh, even if you're just even if there are no conventions on while your Kickstarter is on Maybe just go to your local pub and set up and just say, guys, if you're in the area, you can, it can really be good to engage with your local community if you can. Or have a, like a charity board game event set up in like the local whatever and uh, so that people can, can know that you're a real person. They know that you're out in the world and that if they did want to meet you, they could meet you. That, so you're not secluded from it all and away from things yeah because during the kickstarter campaign uh you're probably going to be very busy because you know there's lots of things to be doing but uh if you have a few events organized or you're going to join uh definitely do those it helps people to connect to you as a person and knowing that the kickstarter project is their direct line to the board game designer uh usually you don't have that in the real world you know if you buy a board game you like uh you have you'll never meet this board game designer you'll never be able to contact them whereas kickstarter page allows you to look at their social media talk to them directly and uh, kind of build that community around the board game idea and i suppose as well for those people who are just following the campaign but might not have backed it yet or they're only in for the one euro pledge if you know your campaign is running during say uk games expo or something like that you might go hey guys look we're here at the expo drop by check out the game they might come by and go i love this i'm definitely up in my pledge right now and you know things like that can work out great for you because they're coming they're seeing the game in real life they're going yeah i'm not gambling on this anymore i know it's good i know i want it and i think we we converted a good few people at some of our uh, at some of the conventions we went to during the during and, the campaign and those people in the, during the conventions they'll comment as well like you said uh, in during the Kickstarter and get that kind of buzz going because uh, they'll have probably talked to you and then like because you love your camp- Kickstarter campaign you'll probably end up speaking to them for two hours over a pint uh, <laughs> about all sorts of random stuff but they'll just have they'll be more confident knowing that you have looked into everything and people want to be part of a community they want to like get involved Kickstarter especially they like for us, it was about like bringing people new to the new to the maybe experience board game section, as well as people who like lighthearted games or like short games. We wanted to bring all of those sorts of people together in, in our in our community. And I suppose in some ways, everyone wants a wide-reaching uh, group to be part of uh, or a community to back them. But uh, I think that. We, we really tried to bring as many people as we could along and bring people in, even if they were like friends of friends and we just wanted to get them involved, get them feeling like this is a, like we were a good bunch of people to back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so let's then finish it off with you've reached your goal, your funding goal. Um, and yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a good day. Like Brian said, you kind of, you might have, uh, con- you're going to contact your backers about the things you're doing, but what should you do after your campaign? Uh, I suppose 
pop a bottle of champagne. <laughs> <laughs> if you can yeah, afford champagne. Yeah. It depends, yeah. depends how high your uh, yeah. pledge goal was. <laughs> so, sometimes that, uh, the stress of just watching the pledge slowly climb and you're you're at 90 you're at 94 percent and you stop at 94 percent and there's like a day where no one backs it and you're like oh my god this is where we're gonna fail right at the end <laughs> come on come on and then you'll get a flurry again the next morning and you're the, the relief and you cross the line and then all of a sudden 20 other people back here that have been following along but now the game is the game is done so celebrate relax enjoy take a breath thank all of your supporters Post everywhere you can and let everyone share in the the celebrations. It's a great feeling, <laughs> um, and yeah, it, sh- it shouldn't be underestimated. And it's it's not only a feeling; you'll feel it's uh, like the supporters and the backers are also get the same feeling. So yeah, celebrate that moment and take some time to relax because uh, things are about to get a lot more serious. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, you've made your funny goal, and then yeah, try and have a plan before you reach your funny goal because in that euphoria of getting over the line you might find that you can't remember what exactly you had planned (laughs) (laughs) write it down it doesn't hurt to write it down (laughs) but like you know there's things that you couldn't do before you reach your funding goal you can't uh, confirm with a manufacturer the start date or things like that so try and get on those early things the letting people know that you are actually going to go ahead with stuff now that you have reached your funding goal is really important. If you use you use a certain manufacturer and you said it's going to take 12 weeks and whatever, let them know now when you plan on giving them all the artwork. You know, even if, so we had to get more artwork done. We had accounted two weeks for that. But two weeks is very tight. So we had to get our artist straight away to know, hey, we backed or our Kickstarter was backed we're going to need you to actually do that art that we had talked about, but we hadn't actually confirmed with you up to now. So, well, in our case, we had Brendan Purchase doing our artwork and he obviously had other projects going on because technically our board game project was finished. We'd already prepared all the artwork that we had needed for the core game. So we kind of had given him a heads up that we might need it. It's now time to just confirm those last details that you can't confirm before you're backed. Also, there's uh, some tools as well that might help out, might consider before you start your Kickstarter project, like Backerkit. It's very handy um, because usually after the Kickstarter project is over, there's a lot of posts from you and from your backers and your community saying this project has successfully funded. And you might see it on some board game news sites and stuff like that. And Backerkit allows people to pledge after the campaign is done. Um, And so that's kind of like a way of uh, making sure people don't feel left out that they've missed your Kickstarter campaign and maybe they're only seeing it now on the news or whatever and then uh, this allows them to kind of pledge again and it also allows you to you know sell a few more games as well afterwards so it, it does tend to help speaking of tools there's a website called Kicktrack, I think it is uh, which it's if you can avoid it it's it's so good but it's so bad it's it predicts as you're going along day by day it predicts whether you're going to reach your funding goal and you know you might have a a day where no one backs you and all of a sudden it's predicting you're not going to get your goal and you're devastated and then three more people come in and back you and all of a sudden you're hitting 200% of your goal and you're so ecstatic you're like yes you're already buying a boat in the Caribbean and it's and then the next day it's down again it's devastating that roller coaster of emotion just reloading that page over and over again just avoid it (laughs) Okay, cool. I think that uh, wraps it up for crowdfunding and Kickstarter. If you want to share your memories of your crowdfunding experience uh, or just want to chat, then feel free to comment down below. Uh, We've been decking out some games. Thanks for listening. See ya. Cheers. Bye.